Hello and welcome to season two of Deep Diving. Owen here. This week, my guest is Irish broadcaster and current host of Love Island, Laura Whitmore. Laura won an open competition in 2008 to be the new face of MTV. She packed her bags, she moved to London, and she never came home. On the podcast today, we talk about her journalism beginnings, moving to London, becoming the face of an institution, why she didn't like being incorrectly linked to Leo DiCaprio, her decision to publicly document her miscarriage, meeting Harvey Weinstein, and taking over as host of Love Island under controversial circumstances. Laura is an old friend, she's a generous soul, and an open book. So enjoy, this is Deep Diving with Laura Whitmore. Testing. Hello. Hi. Hi. Even closer. I know that's weird. Hello. That's it. Do you that, want, okay, yeah. That's where mean. it's at. You can scooch in. Yeah. If you like. Uh, hey, thanks, Mill, for having me in your house. You're very welcome always. Which is lovely. Thanks. This is a new house. It's over a year old since I've moved in. Like relatively new for relatively you. Relatively new. I guess one of the pitfalls of being in the public eye, particularly in the UK, because the culture's not nice, is that paparazzi. I was saying, do paparazzi know where you live now? Is that a real thing in your life? Um, I was in the past a lot more when I lived in Camden around MTV days and stuff and I lived um, I lived in a, in a flat so I think I was probably more exposed like coming in and out of my house but um, when I moved to here it feels a little bit more residential I mean I'm still central London but it still feels a bit more residential and it's not that kind of place where there's lots of other people in the industry living here necessarily but um, yeah I think because since Love Island and all that uh I didn't see them. Actually, one guy, one guy was outside my house and it frightened the life of me. I thought he was uh, my Uber driver because <laughs> he had a car and then he took a camera out. Were like, you walking up to the yeah! car? <laughs> I was like, sorry to keep you waiting. And then he just took the camera out. I went, no, 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 no. And uh, I was actually going into work. So I said to him, I said, look, I'm going into BBC. Would you mind taking a picture? there if you're going to do it rather than on my street where I live because I have neighbours and stuff and it's just embarrassing and not nice for them and he actually he was lovely when That's I, got not, to like, I kind of feel like you probably couldn't say that in Los Angeles for example well we say that now so he was lovely and he kind of went away and sure enough when I got to BBC there was a few photographers there and he was there and I stopped and I, I normally don't really like especially at work stuff and you're in a rush like I get it if you're on a red carpet but I stopped and he was very nice and um, polite but then I noticed a few days later, I just saw online pictures of me and my boyfriend. We weren't, didn't even leave the house together. There were different pictures at different times. And then me walking the dog, picking up the dog shit, all that. Thank God I picked up the dog shit. Can you imagine? It's all documented. But, um, and do you know what? You could kind of say that as a throwaway jokey comment. But that's the kind of thing, if you didn't pick up your dog shit, that a paparazzi gets. But, but a regular person, yeah. seriously, like they would be fined their 80 quid or whatever. <laughs> But you'd be nationally shamed. Well, thankfully. It's I a funny up. thing, isn't it? Thankfully, I picked it up. But the weird thing was, I never saw the photographer. And he was following me for a while. I saw loads of pictures of me. I was like, at the cash machine. Uh, the cash machine was broken, so I had to walk to the garage. <laughs> like All these <laughs> pictures were documented. And I was like, what? And I wasn't even properly dressed. I'd, I'd thrown on my boyfriend's uh, tracksuit bottoms because I hadn't had my shower yet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. He, he can see that I've been wearing his clothes. But yeah, a bit, it's a bit weird um, when, you, when you don't see them. Yeah, this is a bit sinister or yeah. something. I don't know. I want to jump in at the news talk part. Okay. relatively common knowledge, or maybe it's not, that you worked in news talk, which is a current affairs talk radio station in Ireland. Yeah. What age were you and what were you doing there? So I uh, did my degree in journalism uh, at Dublin City University. And at the end of it, it's four year course. And then 
my third year I went up to Boston I did a semester there and then the very end you have to do an internship somewhere so yeah. you apply to different places and uh, I applied you the thing is you apply to a few places but the as soon as you get one of the jobs you have to take the first one you get yeah. you can't wait and see if you get another one so you're worried that you're going to get nothing at all so you're kind of applying to a few but you don't know which one you're going to get first and then you never know if you would have got the other one um so news talk was the first one i went for and i got it which is great um but then i was like oh i'm going to be in this like quite hardcore newsroom um as this little intern you know your bottom of the food chain but uh yeah so that's why i was there and i was there for i think it was initially maybe three months but i ended up getting made permanent um, on like a lunchtime show, which is current affairs, but a little bit not as he- well, not as heavy as maybe doing news full time. Yeah. But we were based in the newsroom. And what were you doing? Um, so I was a researcher. Um, so like basically doing the initial phone calls, putting together the briefs. I worked on a few different shows. I worked on Moncrief. I worked on the Breakfast Show, uh, and I ended up working on the lunchtime show at Eamon Home. Eamon Holmes. <laughs> Eamon Keane, sorry. I saw Eamon Holmes last night and Ruth is in my head, but uh, Eamon Keane, a great journalist and wonderful pianist. Yeah, he and actually the rest of the team let me try other things as well. So I did a little bit of reporting. Yeah. And I say a little bit of reporting. I told, did I tell you the story? No. When I went undercover at Wesley. No. I told you this. Did you? I did mention this on the Late Late Show because I, I ended refresh up... Refresh my memory, yeah. So I ended up working... Um, I mean, I made some friends for life there. It was, was hard because when you come in quite bright and bubbly... And, you know, with all this enthusiasm, there's a lot of people there who just don't talk to you. Um, and another girl who I really clicked with was called Samantha Barry. And she yeah. worked on the same show as me. So she came in as a reporter. She'd come from RTE. What's she gone on to do? She's very successful. She's, yeah, the editor-in-chief of Glamour US. And she was head of uh, social for CNN. But she's big job. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. a very powerful woman and the loveliest and hardworking. So we really bonded um, at News Talk. Uh, but... Yeah, so basically we we just do she had to do one story where she had to show how security wasn't tight enough in a lot of these psychiatric hospitals. So they um put knives in her coat and pockets and stuff and she had to see how far she could get into the wards. So that was her oh, wow. story. And then my story was they wanted to do an undercover of Wesley underage disco. And like where I grew up because I was in Bray, I went to Greystones. I never went to Wesley. That wasn't yeah. my area and sorry um, if, if you don't know Wesley Disco yeah if you're not Irish it's a it's a, a relatively well-off Dublin suburb rugby club and they yeah. had like an underage disco yeah and I I mean I'd never gone there when I was the age to go there but uh, there was loads of stories in the press about what was going on in there and drugs and underage sex and all that stuff so uh, they wanted to do a story about it and they looked around the newsroom going who looks like they could be 16 now, I was <laughs> 22 at the time yeah but um yeah, I, I was chosen. But for me, it was quite exciting because it was the first time I got to do a report and probably just because of how I looked more so than my ability. So what did you have? Like some little recording Had device mic, stuck yeah. down your top or something? Yeah, and I, my friend, I brought one of my friends who also looked quite young. And the saddest thing was nobody stopped us. Everyone believed we were 16. That's, I got a, that's great. 16 what are you talking boys. about? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did that and we put that out. And was it as um, shocking as everyone was saying? I mean, it probably wasn't as... To be realistic, there was things in there, but there was things in there where you, you imagine a lot of 16-year-olds do. Uh, obviously, you didn't didn't reveal anyone's identity or anything like yeah. that. But it was, it was insightful. I think if I was a parent, I'd be a bit, uh, but it wasn't, 
you know, I'm not going to make it bigger than, than what it was. Is what you probably can expect it in lots of different underage discos all over yeah. the country. It wasn't just specific to that one. Uh, but it was very exciting. It was a nice piece. It was edited together well and it went out. So it was getting a little little taste of what was to come. Um, and there's a few little bits I did like that. I'd come in and talk about what was on the telly. So you're doing your stint in news talk. And yeah. when, does the, when does the open audition for MTV come along? Quite quickly, actually. Um, I did feel a bit bad because... I was an intern for three months and then I got got given a contract and I think I must have been a month into the contract when the MTV audition came up and it was it was a you know it was it was public you know it was on television that they were I was watching MTV one night they were putting out there saying we're doing an open call for anyone who would like to be the new MTV news presenter because Shanta who used to present Ricky Haywood Williams um, was leaving and I thought oh. Oh. oh, that's where we met for the first time. That's where we met, yeah. You yeah. were the guy from, because were you doing... Um, I was doing... Do you, so you were the guy from T.G. Cahar, yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, that's, I, know, I know him, he's from T.G. Cahar. He's so cool. He's He'll so probably cool. get the gig because he's so immensely talented. <laughs> I did, I was, cause I don't know if you remember that day, like the first audition. And even just to be called to that audition was a big thing. But there was loads of people there. Yeah, and everyone was so different. But it just felt like, was that all it was? There was more than that. The first one, the queue and outside. Yeah, because cause I think something like three thousand applied, yeah. and then they called they called maybe three hundred or something. Maybe like, still, a, a, I just but for me, I found it very overwhelming, and everyone was like, it, it wasn't clear what or who they were looking for because there was lots of faces that I recognised. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, surreal. When you were in doing your because Trevor Nelson was one of the judges, Alicia Dixon and Emma Willis, Emma Willis, of course. Yeah, who I see all the time. I saw her last night. Yeah. In the moment, did you kind of go? Because you had to do, they gave you challenges here. Yeah. This is the scenario, present this link. You're on the red carpet, you're doing a bit for news. They had a few different yeah. challenges and stuff. Did you feel in the moment, oh fuck, this is going well, I could do it here? I remember thinking, oh, I'm not, because there's a lot of kind of girls who were clearly models there, like very tall, or I recognize from seeing things or in campaigns. And there's a girl in front of me, the very first, we had to do one thing. Do you remember we had a minute and you pretend you're at the, EMAs, the Europe Music Awards, and just talk for a minute. Yeah. And they said, in it, you have to mention Madonna's performing, this person's hosting, and then two other people. Uh, and this girl was in front of me. I was like, oh my God, she's so stunning. And then she went to do her bit and she just froze. And she yeah. didn't say anything. And I remember thinking, oh, I can talk. Like, I can do this bit. So that was, yeah, that was when I kind of thought, I didn't think I was going to win, but I thought I'd get maybe an email address or they'd like me for something else or I could do something. What age were you when you won? What I was age were you? Twenty-two. Because remember, I had my twenty-third, and it was like my going-away party. And they filmed at it. No, they didn't film. Oh, at they that. didn't film at that. You no. were at that. Oh, no, yeah. they filmed. They filmed my mother in Bray, which she bloody hated. <laughs> but when you when you get the what is it a phone call that you get? Or? I got a phone call. I was in. Um, I remember it was no, when, when when I won or when, when I got through. Oh no, it was my won. I was there. Oh, you were actually. Yeah, I, I was there. Yeah, yeah. When I was there, I was on the show. So after that sinks in and you get the, oh my God, woo, and you're texting everybody and you're calling everyone, like two well, days later, two well, days later, five days later, when it settles, are you buzzing beyond belief or are you shitting yourself? Because actually all of a sudden... It's real. You're 22 and you are the face of this iconic company. No, it never really sunk in, to be honest. Maybe a few years afterwards. I remember when I won, and I think, did I try and ring my mom and I didn't answer something? But I remember ringing my dad... And he, he was just a bit breezy, but he went, oh, gosh, I thought that would be fixed. Do you know, because you know, I don't think he thought I'd win it because I was so outside of it. I wasn't, I didn't come from a TV background, didn't know anyone in TV. Yeah. Um, but I, it was quite, you'll know from this from working in television now that people think things are a lot more glamorous than they were. So I found out I won, 
But then all the crew had to go pack up, you know, the, the hosts and the judges had to leave. And I was kind of by myself. And it was just another girl, Natalie, who was working on the show going, should we go for a drink? <laughs> <laughs> so I, it was quite downplayed. And then I didn't know when I was starting. And yeah, I, there was never a moment where I was like, oh my God. Because I went thinking, oh shit, I have to find somewhere to live in London. It was yeah. the reality of all that. And I guess it was so much of that that I never really got to have a second to sit down and go my life's going to change forever I didn't I didn't have that at that stage but then what is it like three weeks later four weeks later your first interview is Coldplay in Los Angeles and they fly over like that that to me is baptism of fire because even now how long are we doing this like if I was told tomorrow I was chatting to Coldplay I'd still like it'd be good nerves because I love them but I'd still be nervous for that but you're Oh, you will, oh, I'm going to do a competition. Yeah. You're going to LA and you're going to interview Coldplay. And also, I think people think it's more glamorous. Like, there's no hair or makeup or stylist or anything like that. So I just felt like I'm just going to look like I don't belong here. I'll stick out. And and even writing questions, um, I had a brilliant producer who I'm good friends with, James Barnes. And um, like he would put questions together, but we do it kind of together. There was a lot of things you were doing it yourself. And I remember for the Coldplay interview, I think I was being picked up at 9am. I think I got it before 4am. Just to kind of have everything prepared yeah. and read everything so I knew everything off by heart so I wouldn't have to be looking at cards. And then I'm not really good at blow drying my hair. So I was like, I'll wash my hair and I'll try and blow dry it myself so it looks done. And then even like trying to have my makeup done nice and what to wear. So I got up like hours before I needed to be there. Um, just trying to, I guess you're just trying to survive each day and just do it. And I was just trying to almost fake it, pretending that like put all this extra time in it that maybe other people don't always have to. And maybe at this stage, I don't have to because I've been doing it for so long. But at that stage, I felt like I needed to. When you start, so you're on MTV for a little while and it's going well and you're picking up other work and people are noticing you. You know what I mean? It was very slow though. Like, because it was a big job to get, but you're doing these little bulletins. It was very safe. It wasn't like nowadays if someone's on the X Factor or if someone is in Love Island. It's I wasn't thrown into that type of... Yeah. So I think I was very... I learned to... I learned to get better and I learned bit by bit. I didn't, there wasn't Twitter. There wasn't people having a go with you that way. You know, so I think I learned. Is there not Twitter then? I don't think there was Twitter. What, 11 years? 12? Oh, well, no, like, there very, wasn't, in its infancy then. Maybe, there was yeah. like, oh, there was Facebook and there was, and Bebo was ended. <laughs> but you know, there wasn't that kind of, there wasn't that, I don't think there was. Or if there, no, not when I started, there wasn't, that but, I was on. So, so you went over, you were 22, and then maybe you're, is it like a year later, you're 23? Like, I'm thinking of Billie Eilish now. Have you heard her yeah. thing about why she wears all the baggy clothes? And she's only 18 now, mm-hmm. but she's like, I don't want my body to be public property. I don't want mm-hmm. people to comment on it. I don't know what it looks like. And she, she's kind of said, maybe after 18, 19, I might start yeah. wearing more flattering clothes. But yeah. for now, that's my story. Yeah. And I remember one thing you kind of hummed and hawed over for a while was when you were offered the front cover of oh, FHM? FHM yeah yeah FHM yeah. um yeah and I did turn I did a I did a shoot for them that I really like and I'm really proud of yeah. um and then I did a cover shoot for them I got asked to do a cover shoot with two other girls and I said no because what is, I was didn't want to do it I didn't a little bit erotic yeah I, and I didn't know them there was no connection this, yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't want to do it and yeah. then I got asked to do one myself and like at that time like Holly Willoughby had done a cover and all these other women who I really respect and and I, it's, anyone can do a cover and I, you, it's not taking away it's 
it's if you're comfortable doing it the only problem i have is when people do things they don't want to do or they're yeah. forced to do um and i was a little bit older and i probably have more an issue that i felt like my face was photoshopped a bit like much a bit you know, more so than the actual cover in any other way i was quite happy with what i was wearing it wasn't gratuitously no, skimpy around. Just, Not, and fuck if that was your choice that was your choice but it, fo- yeah. it wasn't that either yeah and i was like young in my early 20s and was like yeah why not like um, Ain't gonna be this perky for this long. Hey. Uh, <laughs> and I had like I had a boyfriend at the time, and he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean?" Like, so it just kind of felt like it felt like right, and I felt in control of it. I knew the editor at that time; he was a friend, yeah, um, Dan Jude, who had worked in a few other publications, uh, and I had control over what the styling was. So, at, yeah, so at the time, I felt really comfortable. And actually, after that, I got asked to do another cover, but I kind of felt, "Oh, I've done it now." I want to do different covers. And I didn't want to get too pigeonholed into sexy MTV sexy. star. I wanted to do different things. So, uh, yeah. So, kind of at the time, it made sense. Yeah. I guess when you when you become a public person, particularly when you're a girl, girls get it harder than girls guys. Girls have a shit time. Like, you went on some dates with some people and there was photographs in the paper. Yeah. And I guess that's first, second, third date. That's mm-hmm. not welcome, is it? Or do you care? <sighs> it's at the time probably it was new I didn't really know or and also I hadn't like when I started in MTV I wasn't necessarily like papped it wasn't that pap culture the same way oh there was with certain people but not with me yeah um it was the people I was interviewing so if I was pictured it was because I was interviewing someone and then I can't remember when it first got like but yeah definitely if you were going out with like there's a few guys I'd gone I'd gone out with and I'm kind of more of a relationship person yeah um and actually all my exes, even like a good friend of mine is David Gandhi and we were pictured together in the early, early days. I mean, because years ago. If you don't know David Gandhi, he was, what was the perfume? The oh, D&G. Yeah, D&G. D&G. And he was, was in bad. the white underpants in that, that island off um, Positano. <laughs> What's it called? Capri. Capri. Yeah, that's him. That, yeah. And he's like, you kind of forget when you meet people like, oh, they're just a real, they're just a normal person. Like, you know, same meeting Chris Martin. Like, yeah, you're a superstar, but you're just a guy who's re- like really yeah. down to earth, cares about the planet trying to do a job, trying to raise his family, trying to get on with life. And then I met David. I was like, oh, he's really nice. He's sound. He's funny. But I guess for someone like him, if you and him were out on a few dates yeah. and you get papped, like he's used to it because he's a he's a I model, wasn't right? used to it. That's it. That was new for me. And I wasn't a huge fan of it, to be honest. And also, you, suddenly you put into a relationship with someone that you've gone out for dinner with a handful of times. Oh, and it's in the papers. Yeah, and you're like, Laura I don't David. even know if we're kind of suited. You know, we're probably better off as, as friends because we're more suited that way than anything else. But uh, that was, yeah, that was kind of probably the first time. Which, David? But, yeah, the first time I kind of know, oh, oh, you can't just go out for dinner. The thing is, anyone that you've ever been pictured with, as soon as you go out with someone else, they will come up in articles. So, you know, even with like Ian now, and we've been together almost three years. Like when we first start going out, I kind of felt I had to tell him anyone I might have ever been pictured with because he would see it in an article. In a Google image going, somewhere. This yeah, is yeah. Laura's now with Ian, who used to go out with, and like anyone I've ever met or been pictured with in any way. Ian's a really interesting character because he's really high profile, obviously, because of Love Island. It wasn't when I met him, though. But he also, like. He's really low profile. He's, he's low key. Mm. High profile, low key. Yeah. Um, so are a lot of people, though. So are a lot of people who are in the press and stuff. They don't necessarily court it in any way, but they're just kind of thrown into it. Yeah. The world and its mom knows you're doing Love Island now. Now, yeah. And for, the, for this series. For this series. It, it's kind of the, it's kind of like the elephant in the room. Well, not even elephant in the room because you talked about it, but like the circumstances by which you came to have this gig are mm. kind, they're unusual. They're, they're like not nice. It's, no, they're not it's nice. It's a shit situation. And, um... I, I also had to think about doing this when I got asked to, to do this series and actually Caroline Flack 
uh, had messaged me before I, I got offered the role and I had spoken to producers, but I hadn't got offered anything. And I had said, like, I need to talk to Caroline. I need to talk to Ian. He didn't even know. So um, Caroline said, look, she she had stepped down and she said, look, you're my number one choice. I, I'd love you to... Um, she said, she said I, I really hope it's you. That's what she texted me saying. Um, and then I said, I'm going to have to ask Ian as well because this is Ian's thing. This is what he's known for. Like, yeah. I mean, he's done he's done kids TV for years. He's a stand-up comedian. Um, and that's, for him personally, that's what he does. But everyone knows him because of Love Island, because yeah. of these few weeks every year that he spends doing. So for me to come on, and we don't really do things together. We don't really talk about our relationship that much. We haven't done a red carpet together. We've been pictured together, but we've never done a red carpet. It's How come? By choice? By choice. We just go to things separately and we yeah. go home together. Yeah, okay. um, he's normally late, <laughs> if I'm honest. GQ Awards, he was late. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else was I at? He was late. So yeah, usually I, yeah, he just comes running down a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but we just, yeah, I think, I think there was that fear that if you court it in any way, if it gets too much, you can't complain about it. Um, and you know, I don't know what's right or wrong. Uh, um, Rochelle Humes and Marvin actually put up a really interesting Instagram about their kids because they spent six years not putting their oldest child's face on Instagram and they they put up something and they showed their kids um, faces um, the two girls and they said look we don't know what the right thing to do is but their oldest start asking questions going how come it's only the back of my head (laughs) yeah or how come whatever and they said we don't know what the right thing to do is but all you can do is in that moment make that decision so I think that's the best way to live life isn't it can you kind of put aside the Caroline her story can you park that and just enjoy the experience for what it is I guess yeah I guess the situation isn't really for me, I can't talk about it. I have no yeah. idea. I have. I don't. I have never. Haven't talked about it that's with it, anyone. That's, that's so her yeah, story. more her just story. talking about you enjoying the gig in the moment. Yeah, because um, you have to. It's such a fun show. It's a brilliant. I mean, I'm a fan of that show. I watched that show. Like even you came in, the telly was on because I missed it last night. So I was at the NTA. So I was yeah. trying to catch up. But I, like, I'm a fan of that show. So for me, and you know, you you work on the Australian show. Like just getting into the villas, like. <laughs> it's like oh my god look at the beds and, and yeah. as a fan going into that you can't not be excited I saw the the viewership for After Sun went through the roof it yeah was up it was like, nice was it over double I well didn't... that was like for, yeah it was consolidated I don't really understand but there's like consolidated when they add it all up together and then there's obviously online and stuff um, and it's always going to change we're a different time of the year After Sun is on a Monday now not a Sunday but for whatever the reason yeah. even if it's seasonal but it goes up like do you feel you can celebrate that openly because does that feel disrespectful or do you just go I fuck think, it it's done well I so hey I think we need to be careful like the press do this where they they think everything's a competition and you're comparing things and you're not um people like to put it's like if you're a girl and you wear the same dress they're like who wore it best which yeah. is actually a shit thing to do because everyone's body shape is different and everyone wears things and styles things differently um so i think we need to be careful i think the press do that quite a lot they like to put people against each other was there a lot of that oh uh, yeah there, well i guess there will be in anything they did it before when like holly filled in for aunt and yeah, you know, sure. different and, and that's i suppose that's natural and human nature we just need to be a little bit careful i'd rather be like this is a really good series we're enjoying the show is everyone watching the show people who are watching it are they enjoying it for whatever reason um it's the first time it's i mean it's it's doing really well it's the highest rating for this time of the year the only thing it's competing against is love island summer like that's the only thing that they're comparing it to because they can't even compare it to it's beating main channel shows it's just, it's really weird but i don't really look at figures uh i never really looked at figures i kind of look at what people are saying to me between online or between walking down the street. My mother, she's very honest. <laughs> so um, 
yeah, I can't. And for myself, when I come off doing a show, how I feel about it, my and producers and that. So that's kind of how I gauge. And for me, I, like in the situation that we're in, doing this new time of year, like I couldn't have wished for this to be better than it has. It's actually kind of been a little bit surreal. I kind of feel like something's going to go wrong because it's just gone quite nicely at the moment for, yeah. for, for what it could be. Yeah, yeah, fab. And even as we talk here, we've got about another 20 minutes and then you're getting in the car and flying to Cape Town. How exciting. Mm, so just glamorous. The, just the buzz of it all. Oh, can we jump back to one thing we were talking about earlier about press and all that? Mm. And this is just a men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing. Yeah. When, was it the BAFTAs that you were pictured with Leo DiCaprio? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw the picture and there was all these headlines. Ooh, was Leo chatting up Laura Whitmore? And I mm. saw it and I messaged you. I was like what a laugh and in my head I was like isn't that great fun because even if it's not true who wouldn't want to be seen flirting with Leo DiCaprio but you didn't like it no because I knew maybe it's as a female and just from previous experience I knew that was just going to be twisted into something it wasn't and it's suddenly it's not you know, Holly, like, it's like what was a Hollywood star doing with this person or she must have gone back to his bedroom and suddenly you're demeaned and your character's broken down and you're almost seen in a different light. So you must have had a one night stand or, you know, and, and suddenly there was a picture of me from FHM, which was, which was, you know, printed for, a, actually it wasn't even FHM. It was a, it was a fashion shoot I did, which happened to be in lingerie, but it was a very high in fashion and it was very for what the publication was. But obviously the son bought the picture, yeah. put it on the front of the paper and said like, Lauren, Leo, 5am, whatever they said. And like, I remember my friend going, is that what you wore to the BAFTAs? <laughs> Surely that's inappropriate. <laughs> and it's just that twisting and that kind of fake news. And we need to be careful uh, of, I think coming from a journalistic background, working in a newsroom, I kind of see it and kind of laugh it off sometimes. But I know a lot of people don't realise they, they just kind of see a headline in a picture and think it's real. And I just knew as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, this is going to be a thing. And also there was someone there taking pictures on their, I was at, at like a, a party at the BAFTAs. It just all felt very dirty. That, that was a sly phone picture, was yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I just felt a bit, yeah, I just felt a bit. And like, there was loads of us. It was fun, do you know? Who isn't going to go to a party with like all these people? Did you talk about climate change? We didn't talk about climate change, actually. I should have, actually. I'm trying to think what we did talk about. I didn't talk to him even that long. Um, he had a party and um, he was really nice and his friends are really nice. And um, I just remember ordering fish and chips I said, for like everyone because everyone was hungry. So I was like, I'm going to get some fish and chips going. You've talked about this before and you've underplayed it, which I get because it wasn't like it was loads of meetings or a big time in your life. But outside of presenting, acting yeah. is something you've pursued and... The trial is ongoing now and you met Harvey Weinstein in oh, yeah. London. Did you get any sense of him that he was like, the, like a malevolent I've, force? Or I feel like I actually had a really interesting conversation about this recently at a party. And I've kind of talked about this as much as I, I need to. And I wrote it in an article as well because I I think a lot of women um, had a terrible time because of Harvey. Yeah, um, And I think karma comes around and eventually the world will write itself. Um, I hope, I, do you believe that? Eventually, I'd like to think so, because otherwise, what's the point in carrying on? But um, I, for me, I can only go by myself. Um, but I was at a party recently and a guy, this older guy came up to me and I was talking to a friend and he was like, oh, well, you're the hottest woman in the room. I made some comment like that. And he was, I was like, I laughed it off. I was like, yeah, whatever. And the guy, the guy I was talking to was like, oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, no, that's just, he goes, does that happen all the time? I'm like, 
yeah, like people can make comments and especially maybe the older generations, not just a stereotype, but especially older men live in a world where they've got away with this for so long that they don't know anything else. And I remember like, like I had, I had no terrible situations with Harvey, but I was always scared to be a li- like, I'm not scared, but how do I put this in the right way? I, I remember he invited me to the theatre and I didn't go. And did that seem, for like the amount of time you had met him, did that seem like a weird invite? I just remember being in, I remember being with Jack Whitehall uh, at a dinner and there's a few other actors and actresses and people and Harvey and Harvey went and talked to Jack about like, oh, how great Jack is and you know, we need to go out for dinner and I see so much potential for you. And then I talked and Harvey had a conversation with me, quite similar. And I was thinking, I can't go for that dinner that Jack can go for. Mm. Because as a female you feel a little bit more, you have to protect yourself. But were you aware of his reputation I, that, at the time anyway? No, no. But I just think with any situation, like just from okay. life, I think just yeah. as a girl, sometimes within anyone who's a powerful man, you just have to be, I'm not saying all men are like that, but just that's what you have to be careful yeah. of. And I'm sure I'm not the only girl who's experienced that. It's shit, but you always kind of have to be a bit guarded in the situations where I've taken myself out of where I'm like, I wish I could do what Jack did and go out but I maybe he's maybe it's 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 not as um straight up as it seems and maybe sometimes it is I just I'm scared yeah and 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 maybe he would have done what he did to many people as well so yeah but I can only I can only talk about my experience but I just was like well it doesn't it's not he's not the only person like that which is really upsetting um, but I do think we've come to a stage now, you know, you, you, there's a lot of times when, especially in my early career, where you're like, you don't talk about things, you're told not to say anything. I think now we're at a stage where you can use your voice a little bit more and then there's power in, in numbers. And, you know, you look at the Rose McGowns and the Ashley Judds and, and especially the people who first came out and said something, even like Courtney Love, I remember what she said years ago, um, cause I hadn't really, I was out with loads of people. I, no one really said, be careful of Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the universe hopefully is coming back around. Although I was listening to a podcast about that whole thing and it was saying that there's actually over 80 women have talked to the prosecution team mm-hmm. about things that he did. And out of those 80, only two have made it forward because the prosecution team have been very open about the process. They mm. said, look, this is what it entails. Y- yeah. The press are going to come after you. They'll do your homework. The, proce- the, the defense will paint you this way. And... 78 of the 80 have dropped away and there's only two complainants now. I think there's some other... But I, I, can, I can understand that and this is this is even going in, in so many different parts of the life. For those women, it will change their life. They'll publicly be known. They have to put themselves out there. They might have moved on. It's, you know, for, for friends, I like I've had a friend who was raped in the past and she doesn't want to go back there and have to... She's, she's not over it, but she's over it as much as she can be. She's not going to go back in that space because it will actually destroy her. And that's sadly what how she feels. And I think for a lot of girls, if something happened years ago, as much as you want to be a trailblazer and help other women so it doesn't happen to them again, it's a lot for one person to take on. It's shit. All you can hope is that they have enough good people around them who will support them in. And especially if there's only two women, that they have enough good people around them. And the media has a lot to blame. The media love to to rip apart women in particular and demean them. It's the same way when I was pictured 
um, before with any of the guys, then they'll use a picture of me in my underwear or they'll use terms to, you know, curvaceous Laura or, you know, and they'll use different words to, to kind of put you in a different light um, that I feel they wouldn't with men. So I think the media has a lot to blame. A lot of women in the past who have spoken out about Harvey, you can look back through the newspapers, they'll be like, oh, she's a prostitute or oh, she's just wants to be famous. And they, they will, the media in particular will just tear these women down. Yeah. Hopefully he gets his comeuppance. That's all I can say. Because maybe some of the stories are grim. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, This one is massively personal. Mm. I suppose you chose to put it out to the world. And I'm wondering about your thought process behind that, which is you did an interview. I don't know where it first landed, but it was reported in a lot of the papers and stuff. Maybe Hot Press about you had a miscarriage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I think, and actually, and this is the thing with miscarriage, sorry, I interrupted you there. Like, I've had eight friends in the last four months mm. have a miscarriage. And I think I was afraid to speak about it because I didn't want that to to put me, to, you're the girl with the miscarriage. And also, it's no one else's business. And for me, it was a weird one because I have a lot of friends who've been trying for kids for a long, long time. Yeah, uh, a, a few older friends, actually, one of my friends just had a baby this week. And she's in her 40s and she's been trying for six years. And I didn't realize she had about 10 miscarriages probably throughout oh that God. time of trying. Um, so I was coming from a different way. And I, I just thought, I asked to write an article for um, the anniversary um, anniversary issue of Hot Press. And I knew that oh, yeah. Bono was writing and Michael D. Higgins and I know all these great people. And I was like, okay, as one of the few females writing an article, what can I talk about? So I initially was writing about something else. I was going to write about... Um, being Irish and living in London and stuff like that. And then I thought, all these women around me, these things are happening to. I had this experience, but it's a bit different because I wasn't trying for a child. But it did put me in a weird space. It did, you know, it could have broken me and Ian up or could have made us stronger, happened to make us stronger. But it kind of, it does put you in a different place going, oh, we could have a child in nine months. So when you say it could have, the, the pregnancy or the miscarriage? Everything, both sides, having a baby or deciding, could you, do you want to have this baby? Is this a baby that, is this the right situation or, um, yeah, all of it, like all of it. Cause it just makes you question everything. Is this a relationship? Is this the guy who's going to be the father of my child? Am I, you know, all, all of this yeah. stuff. And, um, and what, and like, does this mean that at that time I got told that, um, survival of the fittest was commissioned. So we're supposed to be doing that in January. So I was like, this was, this was people didn't see it. It was like a, a it wasn't Love Island less, but it was a, a dating. It was a, yeah, but it was women versus men, and it was a challenge show, so it was more about physical. Yeah, physicals more so than it wasn't a relationship show. But um, I was like, oh, so I'll be like six months pregnant if that. Do you know? Like, could could I fly? Can I kind of go walk across those bridges? Can I? Do you know yeah. stuff like that? And can I work? Will people look at me the same way? And so all that stuff is kind of going. And then it was like, oh, I'm also like at the time like 33. My mum had me when she was like 30, 31, and that was old then. <laughs> so yeah. like, oh, I put all the stuff up and I just felt if I was going to write an article, you know, as a female voice in there, I had to write something real. Um, and I, you know, I talked to Ian about it and no, my mom wasn't sure if I should do it because she was like, you know, because you kind of get, it affects everyone around you. Yeah. Um, and for me, it, like, for me, it was very early on. Um, it was like first scan. So it would have been like about 10 weeks, I think. But it's still, for, I couldn't believe, like, the the doctor said this happens to one in three women. A lot of women don't even know when they think you've missed your period or you've missed your period a month. Okay. And then have a heavy period. A lot of time that's miscarriages. And so many things when it comes to 
women and comes to like talking about periods and stuff like that and blood and your body and reproductive things we just don't talk about it so I thought I'm such a hypocrite giving out about this if I can't share this and obviously Hot Press is a very special publication for me um I love Niall the editor you know your voice isn't edited um and you know iconic people have said iconic things things there it is a breeding ground so I felt and actually the it was quite hard to deal with the reaction because a lot of people start sharing their stories to me Which is what a, happened then. emotional labour for you. Probably unintended consequence. Yeah, and you don't know what to say back. Um, but I definitely was proud that I wrote it and I wrote it in a way that I felt was con- controlled and I said it in my way and it was a year afterwards. But yeah, it does It does kind of throw a few things up and I have been approached even by television companies going, do you want to do a documentary about this? And I have to kind of go, like, I don't know if I'm the best person to do this or maybe I am because I'm looking at it from a different light and I'm very aware of a lot of friends who've had more traumatic experiences than me so I don't want to overhype mine but all I can talk about is my journey. But yeah. I did... Um, and also I had to talk to Ian about it because it's, you know, it's him as much as me. Um, but I think it was a really good kind of therapeutic thing for both of us and for probably people around us. And, and even actually people really, really close to me messaged me saying that they had had miscarriages who are really close to me and hadn't told me. Yeah. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Um, to wrap it up on a lighter note, I want some names here. Who's the worst interview? Who's the horror show? Who was unexpectedly rude? Who is the case of never meet your heroes? Because you've met them all now yeah, at this stage. I don't, I don't want to everybody's nice. as a lie. Do you know what though? You must get this too though. But everyone's like nicer to me. Like because I've got, there's a camera or there's a microphone. I've seen people turn it on. Yeah. But I would always ask the, like the runners or the people working on the show. Do you know? Like I'll meet someone like, oh my God, they're so lovely. And the producer would be like, yeah, feckin' right. <laughs> do you, yeah, do you, okay. So I always think people who know how to play the game because no one wants to come across as a dickhead yeah. on TV or in the radio. Um, I think the worst people are the people who don't bloody talk. Are you doing an interview where someone just gives you nothing back? There's no banter. That's the, if it's lot and you're doing yeah. live. A, f- a famous Irish actor who I wonder, I wonder why he bothers doing press if he despises it so much. Who's that now? Would I, would I, have I met him? Have I interviewed him? He, yeah, he's, do you know what? And he's a fantastic actor. And as I understand it, a lovely, a lovely him. man. But some, some people, I learned this as well. Because I remember being petrified interviewing people. And I've interviewed like so many massive stars. I remember being petrified going into the room and then realizing they're petrified because they're good at being a different character. Do you know, like that, that's what they're safe spaces and I remember being like oh I'm in control and just remember thinking just because they're a good actor or they come across as really bubbly on screen they're not like that at all in real life yeah and sometimes they're let down because you think someone is a character and then you meet them and you're like oh they're not that character and and also a lot of people have been burned by the press before so if you're coming in as a journalist they're like what you're going to try and get out of me and twist in some way yeah possibly maybe it's just a maybe but it's some a people are thing. just twats as well there's, yes, many of those. Yeah. What's your funeral song? <laughs> I, this is what I thought years ago, but um, it's just too sad. I was going to say like, you know, like Cold Water by like, <laughs> the cold water surrounds me now, do you know? Oh, that's very sad, yeah. Yeah, damn your eyes. But like, I think that's too sad. So I think, I think I want it to be a party. Yeah. I don't, I don't want people, I do want people to cry though. I do want some tears. So maybe I'll well, stop with a bit. happen anyway. I hope so. But then it'll... Ding dong, the witch is dead. (laughs) 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 Um, I went to a wedding before, and actually it's very love actually, but they played All You Need Is Love. 
And then the whole band came out. Sim- exactly the same as Love Actually. I kind of want that at my funeral. That all the different musicians kind of pop up from different places. And then they lift my corpse up and then I swear my hands up. <laughs> like Weekend at Bernie's. I've never seen it. Oh my God, it's, it's great. It's an 80s classic. You ha- How many of you not watched 80s? Uh, There's Weekend so many classics I've never seen. I've never seen Raging Bull. Oh I've never God. seen One Flew Well, the Weekend at Bernie's, their boss dies, but they keep the, the pretend he's alive for the whole. It's, um, it's Rachel. Is it Rachel? It's someone in Friends' favorite film. I think it's Rachel and Monica's favourite film and Friends. Okay. I watched it as a kid. But basically, they have the pretend the body's alive. That's what I want at my funeral. They just have my corpse dancing to All You Need Is Love. All You Need Is Love. Yeah. Okay, done. Laura Whitmore, you've got to go to Cape Town. I'm heading to Cape Town. In South Africa in literally nine minutes, actually. Via, via the BA Lounge for a glass of champers. <laughs> okay, you're going, I'm flying Ryanair back to Dublin. <laughs> so, oh, how far, God how far damn it. we've come. It was so close to your lifestyle. It's so far. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Love Island. It is mad that we're both doing Love Island now. It's well, Love Island in Australia certainly ain't the force that it is in the UK yet. I live in hope, you know. I've read articles about you, though, like on Elle, Australian stuff like that. Oh, don't that. get me wrong. I'm brilliant. Yeah. Just, <laughs> the show. And, then, and actually, I have the same mic um, sound guy that Sophie uses. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he was just saying about like about how we like tape things to dresses and stuff like that. So he was saying, oh, I did the Australian one because I remember having to tape something between her legs. It's an art form. It's an art form. To do that stuff and Pe- not get fired. <laughs> People don't realise how unglamorous it is. I'm like taped up with like packs stuck to me all over my body. It's pretty glam. I'm not, you're not going to fool me. It's pretty glam. Mm-hmm. Um, go safe, travel well and thanks a million. Thank you. So there you have it. Thanks a million to Laura for giving me her time before she hopped on a plane and flew to South Africa while I indeed did get a Ryanair flight home to Dublin. Um, Next week on the show, I'm very excited to be joined by Jimmy and Ryan, who are the two founding members of Picture This, one of the biggest Irish bands to emerge on the scene in so long, currently on tour with the Jonas Brothers. They talk about humble beginnings and aspirations to be the biggest band in the world. See you then. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends, please subscribe, share on your socials, all the good stuff. Talk to you next week.